Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. My name is Greg Hunter, recording from a Comics Journal satellite lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we pose the same ten questions to a different cartoonist with each installment, like an ironmonger of old hammering out the ideal comics interview. I actually don't think that's what a monger does. I they might have just traded things. This episode, we welcome Trungles to the program. Trungles will be a contributor to the Mirror Mirror 2 anthology. That book coming from 2D Cloud and available now for pre-order. Yeah. He is at work on the Glass Mountain coloring book for Oni Press's adult and sex ed imprint limerence. And he's also the cartoonist behind the comics Matches and the Magic Fish, which I believe are self-published. You could say that any comic is in conversation with comics history in a way, but Trungles' work is having a kind of conversation not just with comics history, but a larger history of illustration in this way that's focused but broad at the same time. If you've seen his work, you probably know what I mean, but we talk about it on this podcast too. If this is your first time listening and you'd like to hear more, every episode of Decalogue is available on iTunes in the feed of our sister podcast, TCJ Talkies. Now, that show has recently been retired, so there's a chance the name of the feed will change. I'm not sure. I'm just a little heap of talking stars like anybody. But if you subscribe now, you won't miss anything. And that includes an upcoming two-parter with the great Eddie Campbell of From Hell, Bacchus, and the Alec books. In the meantime, here is 10 Questions with Trungles. You mentioned before we started recording that you didn't know until after you graduated college that you were going to be a cartoonist, which is not one of our ten questions today, but if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about that. Sure. I Well, I'd always liked drawing, and I did study art to some capacity while I was in college. Um, I went the liberal arts route because I couldn't afford to go to you know just art school. I got better scholarships for a liberal arts university, so I went to Hamlin. And I studied oil painting, of all things, and art history and some sociology. And so I liked all of those things, but I didn't totally know what to do with it after I graduated. And I haven't picked up any oil paint since I graduated in 2012. But I just kind of started using pen and ink because they were really accessible and they were mobile and they were inexpensive. Mm -hmm. So I could work while I was on the go, while I had a day job, and it sort of garnered a little bit of attention, and now I'm doing a bunch of contracted projects, which is fun. Cool. Now, had you done any sort of recreational cartooning while you were getting your education in painting? Uh, The sub-question being, was the transition to telling stories in sequence a challenge? Not really. You know, I'd always really grown up reading a lot of different comics. Um, I read lots of manga growing up. They were like Vietnamese translations of manga that my parents um, bought for me. And then I started reading those um, Belgian comics like Tintin. And I really liked Asterix a lot when I was a kid. I never really considered like making comics until I was in high school. And then I did it for fun. And I didn't realize, you know, that there was an industry behind it and that people worked very hard to make these, um, to make these stories come to life. And then I, uh, I got a better sense of it while I was in school and realized that I don't like working on canvases. I like to tell stories. And since I studied art history and iconography, I was really invested in children's book illustrations and the images that accompanied them from the turn of the century. And so I have a very particular way of looking at images historically and iconography, mm-hmm. and iconography in particular interests me. So 
um, I started making images and telling stories that I was familiar with. Um, and I started with mostly fairy tales. And it kind of has sort of stayed within that ballpark because that's what I like to do. And I tend not to um, say yes to a lot of projects. But yeah, that's kind of where my work comes from. I have a couple unrelated questions. Sure. Or questions unrelated to each other following mm -hmm. that. Uh, I wondered after first seeing your work how much I was projecting my own tastes onto it. But okay. uh, now that you mentioned turn of the century illustration, I have to ask if Harry Clark, the Irish illustrator, yes. was on you. A lot of Harry Clark, list. yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of Harry Clark. Um, I was completely enchanted with his illustrations for um, Edgar Allan Poe writings. Like, there were a lot of really, like, kind of creepy drawings that he liked to do, and I loved the textures. And I read a little bit more about him while I was in school, and it turns out that I think both he and his brother kind of worked themselves to death. <laughs> because it takes a lot of work to create that kind of imagery, so I, I kind of try to do, like, a Harry Clark light. But yes, you're right, you're right <laughs> on the money. Keep you healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Alright, now our first official question, question number one. Okay. What's the last comic you finished reading? The last comic I finished reading, um, ooh, I don't actually know if this counts as a comic, but the last thing that I read all the way through was um, Neil Gaiman's take on the, it's called the Dream Hunters or something? It's the Sandman, um, and I think it was originally illustrated as a comic book by Charles Vess, and then there was a version that was put out as sort of an illustrated storybook that was drawn by Yoshitaka Amano. Mm -hmm. um, that was really beautiful. So I kind of go into comics image first instead of writer first. I can't say that I'm incredibly familiar with Neil Gaiman's work as a writer, but I'd read a lot of, like I, when I read comic books, I will look for the artists who do them first because I like mm -hmm. the way that different people tell different stories. And of course it'll look really different depending on who's telling the story. Um, and so I read the Charles Vest version first and I thought that was interesting. It was good. And I liked where Charles Vest's aesthetic inclinations, like where they came from. But I saw like Yoshitaka Amano and I thought that was a really interesting choice for visual direction. I went and read it that way and it was a completely different experience. I don't know how much Vest works these days. You don't hear him talked about all that often. Yeah. But Knowing what I know about your work, and, and a Harry Clark for that matter, he, he, not, not to project that onto your work uh, necessarily as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I love his work, and I think I prefer his black and white illustrations. I think that's just my bias because I like pen and ink quite a lot. And I don't tend to usually work in color, so um, even the stuff that I've been doing for Fresh Romance um, in color have been kind of unusual for me. And did you color that work? Yeah, color? yeah, I did. It was I was real green at it. It was one of the very first comics that I'd ever colored. And I didn't know how um, a colorist would approach coloring my work because there are a lot of different visual tensions that wouldn't work very well with that kind of textured line work that I do. Um, and I discovered that really flat colors worked best with it because mm -hmm. if I got too um, if I got too textured in the color or if I tried to render it a little bit too much, it would start to take away from the ink work um, in a way that I didn't like. Now you might, after hearing Trunkles finish that thought, assume it was all he had to say on the matter of question one, and for a time this was true. But a few days after the interview, he followed up with more. 
Thank you so, so much for letting me add this little addendum to our interview. I felt so bad. I <laughs> was thinking about the questions afterward, and I was a dork and didn't do my research and didn't know what any of that Decalogue questions were. And if I had given it a little bit of thought, I would have mentioned that the last new graphic novel or comic that I read is this beautiful book by Alexis Deacon called Gesh. It came out recently through No Brow Press, and it is amazing. The pages are all incredibly just delicious looking. It's so lushly colored and illustrated. I just, I love it so much. And I don't know why I didn't think of it when we were talking to each other. It probably just because I'd read Sandman before and Yoshitaka Mano's illustrations are beautiful, but everybody knows that. And I thought I would call a little bit of well-deserved attention to Alexis Deacon's work with Gesh. It's wonderful. I think everybody should read it, and I'm really excited for the next installment. I think it's going to be a trilogy. Oh, and real quick, while we're on the topic of comics that everybody should read, um, I've just come back from SPX, which was amazing, and I wanted to congratulate Carolyn Novak for her Ignatz Award win for Outstanding Mini Comic for her comic Radishes. I own it, and I read it probably 20 times over the last year, and it makes me cry. <laughs> it's really, really beautiful. Um, so, yeah, you've, you've got um, Gesh from Alexis Deacon and Radishes from Carolyn Novak, which won an Ignatz um, that I have read recently. Thought you should know. Our second question, question number two. What cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? What cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? I feel like... Alright, this one was GarageBand's fault. We had an audio dead zone where that answer was supposed to be, but Trung was kind enough to follow up with another response recorded after the fact. In response to the question about which cartoonist, um, I admire that I don't think gets enough attention... When we talked in person, I talked a lot about Sarah Pacelli, and then I realized that I'm not actually sure what you mean by cartoonist. I'm not sure what anybody means by cartoonist anymore. I I used to think that there was a very specific career path or vocational direction that someone needs to go down in order to be considered a capital RC real cartoonist. Um, and I don't really believe that anymore. Um, and I take a lot of influ influences from a lot of different places. So I felt like it would be really unfair to just name all the people who are working like only in comics or in comics that I read while I was growing up and kind of reading about the history of comics. Um, and I think what my particular visual lexicon bias is folks who are very heavily involved in kind of just illustration. I read a lot of children's books. And so Sarah Pacelli um, kind of comes out of, I think, a sort of European school of illustration. I really like the way her figures are very organic and the way that they interact with um, with fabrics and their environments are so are so beautiful um, and probably in a way that is not entirely captured well on page in her Cape Comics work, but that's sort of a necessary um, thing considering that, you know, you can't obviously get all of that nuance out of moving from a penciler to an inker to a colorist on the sort of deadlines that Cape Comics work with. Uh, but her, her, um, 
her sketches and her personal work were things that I looked at when I was much younger, and I really admired the way that she went about doing that. Kind of in that same vein, I really admire Claire Wendling's work. So, so beautiful. Um, Again, very organic. She does a lot of science fiction fantasy illustration, and I think it, it mostly is her personal work. I couldn't actually name what stuff she's worked on. Claire Wendling is a French artist, I think. So I, I don't actually I don't actually know what she's done, but I've looked at her portfolio and I look at her portfolio a lot because it's impressive and really beautiful to me. In terms of cartoonists that I'm looking at, um, kind of contemporarily, uh, Meg Gandy is a huge influence on me. She does this beautiful um, comic. I forget the writer, um, but she works with someone on a comic called Godsend. And it was one of the very first webcomics that I was really attracted to because I loved um, looking at turn-of-the-century um, illustration and uh, ephemera, and so advertisements like Muha's work were really influential. And then I found webcomics that did similar things, and Meg Gandy's work is beautiful, and I don't think that she gets the attention that she deserves. <laughs> like, it's really impressive, and I look at her work all the time. Uh, I think also, um, I've been really enjoying Kyle Latino's She Dwarf. It's adorable and I love it so much and it's so much fun and incredibly colorful and, um, the way that the environments are rendered and illustrated is so beautifully consistent and wonderfully designed. There are a lot of references to, um, designers and illustrators coming out of the fifties and sixties that I really enjoyed, like folks who worked on, Disney films. I think there was a reference to um, Ivan Earl once, and I about freaked out. I also quite like a lot of Japanese comics, um, and I don't know... Ugh, I th- I'm thinking about this now, and it suddenly occurred to me that maybe the folks that I look at are actually just really famous in maybe not English-speaking <laughs> places, or, um, you know, we, we're sort of still very segregated, and are like, these are our Western comics canon, and this is our, you know, Franco-Belgian comics, our French comics, our UK comics, our Japanese comics, our Korean comics... We tend to be very, (laughs) we have kind of a xenophobic attitude about comics, I think. And so um, my influences often come from uh, Japanese comics and comics that I read when I was really little, like Vietnamese translations of them that were accessible to me while I was living there for a little period of time. And so I, I read like lots and lots and lots of Sailor Moon. And so a lot of the Western artists that I look at these days kind of take on that sort of thing. Like I read a lot of um, Mildred Lewis's Agents of the Realm. I love it. (laughs) Her character acting is really wonderful. Um, So yeah, I don't know. Like I feel like this question (laughs) is really difficult because, you know, who is not appreciated? There are so, so, so many people who are doing work that I admire to a great extent that I feel don't really get the recognition that they deserve, be it the platform that they have is quite limited or they have very limited funds. I mean, it's kind of a grind to make comics in general, so I completely understand. But there's so much incredible work out there if you kind of look beyond what is canon or canon adjacent that, I don't know, I'm sure there's a wealth of different answers from a lot of different people for this question. So maybe it's actually a very good question. (laughs) And question number three, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? 
the most widely loved. <laughs> um, I was never really able to connect with um, with Watchmen. <laughs> I don't totally get it. But I think uh, comics that are really text heavy and um, kind of meta that were created for like a very like almost like as an in joke. I, I don't find myself to be a part of that comics history, so it's just something that I've never really gotten. But I might give it another shot. At what point in your your comics reading life did you first encounter Watchmen or encountered the the legacy of Watchmen and then read it? Um, it honestly, it was probably when the film came out, where I was like, "Oh, wow, okay, so this this comic book, it, like the this um, this this film is created and is garnering a lot of attention, and it's drawing attention to this medium that I love." So I thought, you know, I might as well dip my toes into the source material and see where it takes me and and kind of try to understand why people have taken it to it so well. And I tried, <laughs> and it just didn't work. And you know your reactions are your own. Right, yeah, way. right. And so long as it's found an audience and people are taking to it, I think that's great. It just doesn't have to be me. <laughs> I, I want to say I read that comic maybe three or four times between the ages of 12 and 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, and found myself seeing different things in it each time, mm-hmm. which was maybe what I enjoyed about it most. I don't know when I'll read it next or, or if that will still happen. I hope so. And I'm sure, I mean, like, I, I'm curious to see what I would think about it now that I have a little bit more um, of a solid groundwork in the way that I create images for comic books to see if I have a different appreciation for the way the story is told and the themes that are explored and how that's done. We're at least, I think, in an age where you can even not like Watchmen and people give you the benefit of the, the, the doubt that oh, yeah. you're bringing your own own uh, readerly faculties to it. Mm-hmm. That, People will not assume that in not liking Watchmen, right. you, know, you, have, you have failed somehow to comprehend the greatest thing. Right, is yeah. <laughs> and question number four, looping back to your childhood, you can send one comic back in time to yourself at age 14. What is that comic and why? Ooh. I would probably send back... This is a hard one. I have not ever thought about this. You mean if um, if I could like pick something that would have influenced my development in some way, or if uh, I thought I it would? Think it's an open-ended question. Okay, okay. So you I can see a figurative fourteen. Okay, I mean your early, your adolescence, your, your early teen so years. Where I, where was I when I was fourteen years old? <laughs> um, hmm. For some reason, when I was fourteen, I didn't read any superhero comics at all. I feel like I would probably, I probably would have benefited from some like next wave. Mm-hmm. I loved Next Wave. Um, I didn't read it until I was in college, but I think it came out while I was in high school. So I, I would have, I, I would send those comics back. I'd be like, yes, like this is really fun, and this is composed really well, and there's a, a fantastic sense of humor, and you could learn a lot from the compositions. That's Stuart yeah. Eminem, correct? Yeah, that's Stuart Eminem. Yeah. Have you been tempted, having having said what you've said so far about superhero comics, to? attempt a superhero story or, or a <laughs> version of the superhero story within within the style you've cultivated okay. these last years? Um, no, I haven't. I, I actually wonder how that would work because my work is very, like, it lends itself to a very static sort of not cinematic but more theatrical sure. um, way of presenting. Like, it's... Um, like, I think of um, work in terms of um, creating images that kind of mimic 
theater quite a lot. Like there's a proscenium and then there's a foreground, a background and all of that. And I don't think of work in terms of like the cinema, which is how I think a lot of um, contemporary comic books and superhero comic books um, compose themselves. It's very cinematic and dynamic and exciting um, in all those different ways. And that just tends not to be where I take my work, but you know, I could stand to, to experiment a little <laughs> bit. I'm sure it would be interesting at least. Because you do, uh, and tell me if you disagree with, with this phrasing, uh, a reader may not immediately see action in your work, but gesture, mm-hmm. I think, is there in a very big way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, um, ooh, I'm not sure how my work would lend itself to a superhero narrative. It would probably have to be a very particular take on it. Like, I, I couldn't just, like, jump into a to a superhero title and just start. I feel like there would have to be some kind of... Um, intentionality behind the decision to be like, okay, we're going to hand this comic to this guy. Um, but uh, I think that the way that I convey gesture is really, really important. Like I, I learned how to draw in a formal setting while I was in school by observation. And so gesture is really important to me. And I'm not really sure that people always see that in my work. And I like to convey gravity with things like fabrics and with hair, obviously. Um, and so that, and I tend not to use action lines either, which is the other thing that makes it difficult to translate um, my work into an action-oriented or a superhero kind of work. Mm-hmm. And question number five, another question, open-ended by design. <laughs> What's the change you'd like to see across the comics industry? A change? Well, I'd like to see more, like a, just a greater breadth of stories. There are so many... Um, kind of amazing stories that I feel would be really well suited to a a comic book medium, but I'm not really sure that we have access to it or that um, we've cultivated a culture that would sustain those kinds of stories. Um, I know that, like, within comics, there's lots of conversations about, like, you know, diversity and representation, and it always falls a little bit flat because there's a tendency to focus on diverse characters and diverse stories, yes, but not really diversity beyond the page. And so um, it's, it's, I think things are changing quite a lot, and I'm really excited to see more um, stories from different perspectives and not just kind of like action-oriented stories, but kind of more quiet comic narratives. Um, and I, I'm sure that there are a lot of places where this is already being done, but it doesn't seem to be gaining a lot of traction or it's not incredibly accessible or maybe it's just not widely circulated. But I'd like to see more quiet stories from more voices. We are talking today because you are in Minneapolis, Minnesota for a signing pertaining to the Fresh Romance comics anthology. And with a book like that in mind, when you you look at the, the body of contributors to something like Fresh Romance, do you think here this is one of the rare comics that is telling uh, the sort of stories I've been missing? or? Are there other stories still uh, that you are not finding particular genres or or narratives that you you feel that you've been looking for and can't necessarily find? I think romance is definitely one of those genres that I felt was really missing. It, w- it would sometimes be a part of the comics that I, I'd read growing up, but there's not really like a really strong exploration of the different dynamics of um, platonic or romantic relationships. 
in a way that really centers on them. So I was really excited to participate in in Fresh Romance for that reason. It was a genre that I felt was really missing and that I would really enjoy reading. So yeah, I, I think it's definitely filling that void in a really great way. Something like romance at one point was very much you know, on newsstands, in mm-hmm. comics form, week after week after week. I'm sure there's been you know, ink spilled about why the superhero comic came to box out some of those other genres. Mm-hmm. But, and yeah, that's an unfinished thought, but that's <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the host of this podcast. Question number six. <laughs> What's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? Closest I've come to quitting cartooning. I don't. I feel like I haven't been working long enough for me to have a moment where I'm just like I'm done. No more comics. Um, maybe maybe the closest is like I'll have like a really dark thought in the middle of some grand convergence of a million deadlines, and I'll be like, Am I really cut out for this? Um, and there are a lot of things that are sort of um, uh, how, how would I put it that are that are discouraging about comics. Like you don't get paid a lot. Like you don't go into comics to make money unless you're really horning in on like a, a film contract or something. But that's an entirely different can of worms. But I I sometimes do have to wonder on a practical level, like with the incredible amount of work that I'm putting into telling this story with this very specific set of skills that you'd have to cultivate in a really particular way in order to tell a story, all of that work and all of that devotion, all of that development and dedication will never really be compensated in a way that um, is satisfactory. So like on a practical level, why? Why would I do this sort of thing? But I, you know, those practical thoughts are things that a lot of cartoonists wrestle with, and I feel like we all find reasons to stay. I, you know, I'm not a cartoonist myself, but I imagine that one of the most useful skills outside of actual draftspersonship with respect to comics is putting out of your mind the number of hours, for instance, it takes to read a comic. <laughs> for, the, the, the classic example yeah. of hours spent reading versus the hours the artist spent creating this material. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't actually think too hard about that. To be honest, like the the idea that someone could consume a comic that I had to take a whole year to create in a matter of an hour and a half doesn't really bother me all that much. I think that with visual media, there is this, um, uh, like the brevity of the medium kind of lends itself to further exploration. Like you could read and reread and reread and reread. And I think that facilitates a relationship that kind of borders on obsession. Like it gives you permission to really, really um, develop a, a relationship with a comic that you maybe wouldn't have the time to with a text. Or maybe there's um, so much in text that you you know you you can't really spend that much time rereading them. So I, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of nice to have comics be able to be consumed in a second. That's true. That is that is a great uh, flip side of that equation. I, if, if, I, if I understand what you're saying, the revisitability of a comic mm-hmm. might outweigh that of a novel or even even a movie, which is also a relatively short art consumption experience. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I, I'm obviously not speaking for everyone. Like, I know that frustrates a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I don't really have a huge problem with that. <laughs> and question number seven, what's the best advice you've heard about making comics? And if it's relevant to your experience, uh, if there's a takeaway from your arts education that you have brought to comics in spite of being a trained painter. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um... I think the best bit of advice about comics is that there's 
there's no right way to go about doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I hear that from, like, I, I used to hear that from folks quite a lot more. And there was a time where I felt like, you know, I needed the right context. I mean, like going through college, you're like, okay, this is my career path. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get an internship. I'm going to do this. And you have like a five-year plan. And I couldn't do that with comics. It was just something that I always did on the side. And lo and behold, it suddenly worked one day. And I felt really insecure about the way that I made my work because I wasn't trained in it. I knew knew that people, like even locally at MCAD, could take classes in comics, in the creating of comics and I was like, what elements am I missing? Is this something that I can really intuit? Am I doing a disservice to people who have gone through the formal channels in order to, to develop and cultivate these particular skills in order to make this wonderful work? Am I participating in it the right way? So there were lots of moments where I felt like I couldn't really um, engage with comics culture because I didn't have a formal avenue. And I eventually... I, stopped worrying about that so much and decided I just want to tell stories and I used to think that people who told me that it didn't matter were just trying to encourage me and not be so dour about it but I really think that that that's the case there aren't any two cartoonists or comic book artists or writers who have gotten where they are or are where they are in their um, career trajectory that planned it that way (laughs) which is encouraging and a little scary and I think whatever else is true, uh, comics is, is this collection of different silos. Uh, there are certain orthodoxies you might need to follow if you yeah. are uh, trying to become the monthly action comics artist, but not necessarily if you're interested in telling a story on your own terms in a way that makes the most intuitive sense to you. Yeah, for sure. I had to, I really had to break out of thinking about um, comic books as a genre because comics aren't a genre. It's a medium that carries a lot of different kinds of stories, and you can approach it in so many different ways. So, kind of just breaking out of that mindset and just being like, this is this is a means, this is a vehicle for stories, and it's not a genre. And question number eight: What's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist? The worst decision. <laughs> I, I think the worst decision is is just sitting on my hands and not creating more work. I, I feel like there were moments where I didn't know what I was doing and really dwelled on that for way, way too long instead of just really enjoying myself and exploring the way that I wanted to tell stories. Um, you can't really build a portfolio unless you make work and you can't get work unless you've made work. And so... Stopping working is something that I would go back in time and beat myself over the head with. Like, don't do that. And for this next question, question number nine, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose we'll have to omit Harry Clark because we got to him already. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm glad we got to talk about Harry Clark because I like his work a lot. Yeah, he's great. Uh, question number nine, what work from another medium has influenced you the most? Oh, from another medium... I don't know if it counts necessarily, but children's book illustration, like really old children's book illustration, um, kind of have influenced me immensely. Like I loved the work of like of Rose O'Neill, and I wonder if it's even fair to say that that's necessarily a different. Like I know that there's a different skill set to it, and it's a very different process. But with the with the time frame that I studied images from, like at the turn of the century, there's this emphasis on narrative storytelling that is this huge illustrated like panel by panel like a single panel on a page um like they there would be all kinds of like 
oh, I forget what they're called and who made them. But there used to be these flapper comics where it would just be these huge, single, gorgeous illustrations that were um, kind of narrated sort of a little bit here and there. And so that that has a very similar structure to um, the way that you'd think that children's books are illustrated. And so I guess, like, contemporarily speaking, I looked a lot at Leo and Diane Dillon's work because they're amazing. And I mentioned Rose O'Neill already, but Tommy DePaola's work, like his children's books, yeah, were really influential on the way that I look at imagery. That is very interesting to me. And and as much as I've, you know, read the manuscripts for both comics and, and picture books, you know, you do gain some insights into how, you know, the author anticipates the art working, mm-hmm. uh, how, in, you know, in the case of a picture book, the art might be expected to function differently, um, you know, and, and what are, are different media, if not, you know, storytelling methods that function differently. Uh, at the same time, I, I remember seeing uh, the cartoonist Sopiano of War of Streets and Houses, which is a great book, talk about on Twitter, I think, and I, hopefully I'm not misquoting her, how she associates comics and picture books as, if not the same medium, then closely related media, and how part of the reason maybe that we don't talk about comics and picture books together mm-hmm. is, is a kind of erasure of female artists yeah. from these traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm a guy, so I feel like I can't really speak to that necessarily. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's the, it's the really similar in a lot of different fields where, you know, you, you can't really have grown up in this era without understanding that, like, there's a history of industries starting out in an informal way where they would be very accessible or... Um, and you can't really, like extricate it from histories of wartime, for example. Like, the ad industry used to be entirely run by women. And then when it became professionalized and suddenly there was money in it, they were pushed out. And it, I feel like it's similar with um, creative industries like that, that pertain to image-making in general. And I wonder, too, if children's books are necessarily thought of as kind of a feminized thing because of its connection to a domestic sphere. And so there are all sorts of those questions floating around in my head, like the way that we look at images and consume images and how do we, how do we gender those things? Actually, I get mistaken for a woman all the time. People will gender my work and assume that it's made by a woman because it's sort of... It's, People who... Yeah, who've, who've seen my work. So you were both there before they Yeah, met before they've met me, will we'll often assume that I'm a woman. And, and, and these days it's actually kind of nice because people won't assume either way. They'll refer to me with they, them pronouns, which is very endearing and sweet, I think. Um, but I think it's so odd that we talk about images and people presume gender from them that way. I haven't thought about it that much, but it happens, and I'm thinking about it. Putting yourself in the perspective of those people, not that you're obliged to necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, what elements of your work do you think lead to that presumption? Well, I mean, like, the, the topics that I take on are, are you know, are pretty feminine. Like, I like um, fairy tales because that's what I, I studied in terms of, like, narratives and um, the history of the images that accompany those texts. Um, and they've sort of, you know, because of various influences, because of Disney, we've sort of relegated them to this sort of... We think of them as feminine, which is I, I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's there's lots of different reasons why that could be, but 
the way that I work um, with the very flowing lines and I draw a lot of princesses and I draw a lot of women. So, you know, I, I, I totally understand why someone would assume that. And I also tend not to draw f- my figures in a way that um, references uh, contemporary superhero comic books. Like, I don't really think about my work in terms of, like, sexiness, but I include a lot of nudity all the time. But I very rarely get criticisms of over-sexualizing. And so I wonder if maybe that accessibility of drawing figures in a way that is relatable might have something to do with that as well. Sure, by, by virtue of not, not practicing a kind of meathead. Right, exactly. By simply not objectifying women's bodies, people assume that you're a woman. And question number 10. Shifting gears considerably. <laughs> Aliens have made contact with Earth. They seem benevolent, but we would still like to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. What do you show them first? <laughs> what do I show them first? Oh my gosh. Uh, mm, I would start with comics that are very, very perfunctory. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think about liminal spaces with cultures and trying to access one cultural space and over another or like thinking about how our different contexts inform the way that we create and look at work. So I wonder if I would actually show them children's books first because they're very they're almost instructional in a lot of ways. And so, I don't know, whenever I think about that sort of thing. I mean, like I think the other thing that draws me to comic books is their accessibility beyond presumptions of literacy. So they're more accessible to people who may not read the language or like know who might not just be as literate. So it's um and so starting with children's books is probably where I would start. Yeah. Cool. We can end on that. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much.